Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman and I'm joined this week by Owen Hughes. Hello. And a late addition to the roster, Andrew Brooker. Evening, gents. This week we will be reviewing Life and the new Power Rangers movie, among other things. But, Owen, the quiz. I am 2-1 up. Um, So I am asking questions. Brooker is answering on my behalf. And I've got something lined up for you to watch if you lose tonight. Um, As in, you're going to make me watch it tonight? You don't have to watch it tonight. It's up to you. Okay, good. <laughs> as long as you've watched it by next Monday, we're fine. As long as this one is available. That tends it, to be the issue, is it, like you suggest things that are nowhere to be found. It is, as far as I'm aware, available on Netflix UK. <laughs> okay. And this week for um, the quiz, I'm sure we have all heard of the game um, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Yes. Yeah. Well, Although that's... it's just six degrees of separation normally. Yeah, so that's that's what <laughs> that's what we're playing. So I'm going to give you an actor or actress, uh, and you have to, for a point, tell me their bacon number, which is how many films it takes to. <laughs> which is, <laughs> I haven't made this up. This is actually what it's called, their bacon mm-hmm. number. So you have to tell me how many films it takes to link them, link that person to Kevin Bacon, and I'll also give you half a point every part of the link. Or each link you can give me. So if there was <laughs> if there was one link, uh, sorry, if it was two links, and you could tell me the actor, or actress, and the film, and then you know the links. So mm-hmm. you get where I'm coming from. I do. Yes. Right. And Brooker, do you get where I'm coming from? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think. Right. Good. So what you're not pinning is... all your hopes on me today, are you, Steve? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. It's not going to be easy. Is it going to be what, potluck more than a normal what, what is Tom Hardy's bacon number? Three. I can't think of anything they've starred in together. So it's going to be quite close. Yeah, I'm going to go for two. Uh, Owen, you are correct, is two. Oof. And do you want to, for half a point for each part of the link, want to hazard a guess for the links? So they're separated by two movies. Yes. Um... Uh, Tom, uh, Tom Hardy. Uh, what? With... what? <laughs> you, Tom Hardy you... is with... with. He got that. He got that wrong, yeah. did he, Brooker? A little bit. He's trying to yeah. style it out, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> He's not doing very well. Uh, no, I, I have no clue. I don't have a clue. Michael okay. Fassbender. It's no, it's it's Nicholas Holt. So Tom Hardy and Nicholas Holt were in Mad Max Fury Road, and Nicholas Holt and Kevin Bacon were in X Men First Class. Ooh. Okay. 
There we go. <laughs> That's the first one. Uh, next up, we have got uh, what is Ryan Gosling's bacon number? One. Uh, three. I'll go for three. Brooker, you are correct with one. And I, God, I hope. The... I kind of hope I know this, and at the same time, really hope I don't because it's embarrassing <laughs> if I do. Right. Weren't they in Crazy Stupid Love together? They were. Ah. Um, so you have got the half point for the link there. Ryan Gosling and Kevin Bacon were in Crazy Stupid Love. Uh, next up, what is Danny Dyer's Bacon number? <laughs> uh, four. Two. I've got no idea. Uh, Brooke, you're correct oh, again fuck with off. two. <laughs> Would you like to hazard a guess at the links? No. What links, what films, and what actor links Danny Dyer and Kevin Bacon? I can name like three Danny Dyer movies, so probably <laughs> not. Let, let's, I tell you, let's just have a guess and go Vendetta. No. No, okay, I didn't. The, the link is uh, Danny Dyer and Jason Fleming um, were in Mean Machine. And Jason Fleming and Kevin Bacon were in X-Men First Class. Bloody hell. Uh, basically, okay. basically, when I was when I was trying to get the answers for this, everybody has been in an X-Men film. Yep. <laughs> yeah. it, it's a bit yep. like when you play this game, well, when we play this game sometimes, you always try and find the film with Samuel L. Jackson because he's been in everything with everyone. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, next up, um, and this is where it starts getting a bit harder, a bit more fun. What is Dave Courtney's bacon number? <laughs> oh. <laughs> One. <laughs> You're saying that Dave Courtney was in a film with Kevin Bacon? <laughs> Why not? I'm not going to get it right. I don't I don't have a clue. One. About two. No. The answer is three. It, it's three. one of them X-Men first class. It is. <laughs> For fuck's is. sake. <laughs> So Dave Courtney was um, he, he starred with Dave Legeno in Hell to Pay. Dave Legeno was with Michael Fassbender in Centurion, and Michael Fassbender was with Kevin Bacon in X Men First Class. There we go. Right, fun doesn't stop here. <laughs> what is Ronald Reagan's bacon number? Ronald <laughs> Reagan. <laughs> Now, now, these next three, I doubt very much we'll get any of the links, but you might get the bacon numbers. Two. Uh, it's going to be quite high. I'll go four. Steve? I thought you said you would go, go four, and then you were going to give me an answer. I know, four is the number. I didn't, think, I didn't think four was your answer. I thought you were going, I'm going four. and then you, <laughs> any, No, Brooker is right with two. Oh, for Christ's sake. Two. So currently, it is Brooker three and a half, Owen one. So, Owen, you can't actually win now. Well, you, oh, could, you, you could actually if you were to be able to get some of the links, but I really don't think you will. Um, what is Hope John Paul II's bacon number? <laughs> That's not uh, seriously a thing. It is. I've got the links in front of me and everything. Oh, Ronald Reagan uh, was in Young Doctors with Eddie Albert, uh, and then Eddie Albert was in Big Picture with Kevin Bacon. That's, that's where they link together. But yes, Pope John Paul II, what is his bacon number? Six. Go for the full six. Three. You're both wrong. It's four. <laughs> and one of them's X-Men First Class. 
<laughs> I wish. No. Uh, Pope John Paul II was in um, Padre Pio with Giovanni Lombardo Radice. Giovanni Lombardo Radice was in Gangs of New York with Martin Scorsese. Martin Scorsese was in Bringing Out the Dead with Arthur J. Nascarella. And Arthur J. Nascarella was in was in In the Cut with Kevin Bacon. Well, yeah, I wasn't you know. going to win this round, was I? <laughs> you, Every day you is a school day. You, you were not. Now, the, mm-hmm. final, the final one, and this one's just for fun, because Brooke has already won. Um, what is Adolf Hitler's bacon number? <laughs> no. Yeah, he has a bacon number. I bet it's, I bet it's lower than the Pope's. I'm going to go for three. I'll go four. Uh, oh, and it is, in fact, three. Um, yeah. <laughs> do you want to hazard a guess of any of the links here? X-Men First what, Class. Like, yeah. Who, who was in a film with Hitler? It's got to be like stock footage in another movie, hasn't it? Samuel I Jackson. Think, I don't know. I don't believe it is, is stock footage. It's from the name of the film and the year. Uh, in 1940, Adolf Hitler was in a film that I'm going to pronounce badly called uh, A Vige Jude with Kurt Boys. B-O-I-S. Uh, Kurt Boyce was in Great Sinner, or The Great Sinner, with Kenneth Toby. Uh, and Kenneth Toby was in Hero at Large with Kevin Bacon. Fair enough. So three. Hmm. Yeah, so, so, I mean, you have lost. And I have found a film on Netflix UK. It stars Alex O'Loughlin. Don't know who he is. Michaela mm-hmm. Watkins. Don't know who she is. But I know who this is. It's Jennifer Lopez. He's a guy... <laughs> It's a comedy from 2010 called The Backup Plan. Oh, God, that film is bad. <sighs> the Backup Plan. That film is yeah. so, so terrible. And if it has been taken off Netflix by now, mm-hmm. uh, just any Jennifer Lopez film that's on Netflix will <laughs> do. But what's the one that... She, wasn't she in one with uh, Jason Statham? That'll do. I'll watch that one again. Not that, that one. Not that one. <laughs> Not that one. Uh, okay. Anyway, yes. So the backup plan uh, by with Jennifer Lopez is what you have to watch for losing that. I'm gonna have to create a whole new Netflix profile so it just doesn't taint any of my other recommendations in future. Because you watch the backup plan, why not watch? <laughs> yeah, it starts mm-hmm. that starts affecting all the different like exactly categories as well, doesn't it? They come up mm-hmm. on your Netflix so. Yeah. Uh, on to the, the news then. There's a few things happened this week, which makes a difference in the last few weeks where not a lot's happened. Uh, the Justice League's new trailer has come out and there is a variance of opinion amongst us because I thought it looked awful. Brooke thought it looked fun. Oh, it looked great. I thought it looked ridiculous with Aquaman standing on the Batmobile. Isn't that the point though? Not the way that DC <laughs> seems to be going for their... F- if it, see, if it, was, if it was a Marvel film... You kind of you're a lot more on board with that kind of thing, because DC tried to be so serious and dark and moody. I do think that maybe that's I mean, maybe that's the point. Th- maybe they've kind of gone, okay, you know, and I, oh god, I'm going to be the guy that says it, but you know, the, the fun element that everyone thinks is missing from these films. Maybe they're just trying to add that. I think uh, that you see that with the uh, like the quipping at each other at the end of that trailer as well, like Batman mm-hmm. and. And Aquaman. I think I think it looks great. I I am a sucker for trailers, and I always fall for them and go, "Oh, this is this looks awesome." And by the time I've seen it for the ninetieth time at the cinema before the film actually comes out, I'll probably change my mind. But mm-hmm. 
I I looked at it and I actually thought, you know what, I'm not I'm not planning on avoiding that film anymore. There's a couple of things from the trailer, right? So you've got Aquaman and Batman having their quips, as we mentioned. But that's like a thing that's rolled over from the uh, comics a little bit. They do have a kind of kind of bromance-ish. And Aquaman is meant to be a bit over the top and superheroic and all that kind of stuff. So it will. I think that'll work quite well in the film. Aside from the other point that we just brought up, which was that the DC films are all trying to be dark and serious. I mean, Suicide Squad is the third, and that wasn't exactly dark and serious. You know, they've only made three DC movies. But Su- Suicide Squad was also universally hated, apart from me. Yeah, but I mean, tonally. <laughs> yeah, you're tonally, weird. I, I am. <laughs> tonally, it was not the same. I think it's... We, we still haven't seen Wonder Woman as well, of course, which comes out in the next few months. But yeah. But that's that's kind of the, what I mean. Like with the Justice League trailer, the first time I watched it, I went, "You know what? Actually, I kind of fancy that. I actually I think that could be a lot of fun." And I've seen yeah. the Wonder Woman trailer a few times recently, and I've gone, "Eh, I'll go watch it. You know, to watch it to just to get another swipe on my limited card. Just you know, to write the review. I'm not that bothered. You know, I don't particularly. I'm not going to avoid it. At no point have I gone, "Oh God, that looks fucking awful. I'm not watching that." But you know, at no point have I been really excited to go watch it. It looks like fun, but, uh, but I saw the Justice League trailer and went, shit, that looks good. Like, really good. <laughs> I kind of didn't hate and I mean, I really liked Man of Steel. I still think Man of Steel's a really good film. Um, Batman vs Superman has its critics, <laughs> to say the least. And some, you know, most of that is warranted, but I still think that's a, an okay movie. I don't get why it's hated so much. Um, I'm kind of still looking forward to Wonder Woman just because it's going to be set in the same kind of uh, universe, the same kind of movie world. So I think that'll be yeah. fine. I've never really been much of a fan of Wonder Woman's anyway. I think her best stories have always come when she's with the Justice League. I'm a fan of Gal Gadot, though. Yeah. Well, <laughs> hmm. but, but um, yeah, I don't know what that film's going to actually be like, to be honest. But uh, as far as the Justice League trailer goes, I mean, we always moan about trailers anyway. We moan when they don't sell the film well. We moan when they put all the spoilers in there um, and try and show all the best bits in the trailer. Uh, ultimately, I don't think we'll be able to understand more about the movie from this little two minute trailer that's popped up on the internet well that's the issue isn't it it's it's a two minute trailer it's it's two minutes with the best bits from what is likely to be a two and a half hour long film yeah it does what it needs to do in that it shows you more of the individuals right so you see a bit more of cyborg than we've seen in yeah um batman versus superman it shows you more of barry allen as uh, the flash uh who looks like he's going to be incredibly annoying Yes. Um, and it shows you Aquaman doing what Aquaman does best. So I just think it'll be... Talking to fish. Fine. Talking to fish, commanding big whales and stuff like that. So I'm okay with that. But no, I mean, literally, Aquaman's best thing is... The, if you've ever seen... There's an old cartoon, Brave and the Bold, where he's in that. And he's genuinely really funny in that. So I think if they capture that 
part of his character, it'll work out fine. I think it'll be okay. Jason Momoa quips quite well. You know, mm. he, he kind of he's got the attitude for it, and he kind of the couple of films that I've seen him in where he does it, they're not necessarily good films, like fucking bullet to the head. But mm-hmm. he is quite good, you know, just he has that attitude to pull it off. I think him and Ben Affleck on screen together could be a lot of fun. I think the biggest challenge for Justice League uh, is not how well the trailer does. Because to be honest, I don't think the trailer is going to convince anyone who wasn't going to see it to see it. No. Um, the biggest challenge it's going to have is jumping that like negativity hurdle that's placed in front of it. Yeah. Uh, and n- no amount of flashy CGI waves or giant you know, like robotic things is going to change anyone's opinion. It's not going to have any. It's not going to make any real roads into convincing those who should see it, or not necessarily should see it, who those who might enjoy it to go and see it if yeah. they're not already planning to. Anyway, um, other news: there are plans for Star Wars movies going as as far as twenty thirty. Um, which, when said this before we started recording, Brooke kind of sighed. Uh. But but then you say you think that but then how long has how long has the Marvel MCU been going now? How long has it been since uh you know that that Hulk movie um, or Iron Man and how much have they got left in the bank? How far are they going to keep going? Uh, Star Wars, they've certainly got two more of the of the main saga to go. They've done Rogue One. They've got a Han Solo movie in the works, and that's all that's been confirmed. Um, Apparently they do want to do a Darth Vader standalone movie where they'll go with that, I don't quite know. They do want to do, apparently, a Obi-Wan Kenobi standalone movie starring Ewan McGregor. Now, Ewan McGregor's the right age for it now, um, you know, having gone forward since the prequel trilogy. And he was reasonably okay as, as Obi-Wan Kenobi in a bad trilogy of films, but... We all know that all he did was sit on a desert planet making sure nothing happened to Luke Skywalker while he's growing up. So I'm not quite sure what they can make a movie out of there. Basically going to be Star Wars Castaway, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot they can do with... Space is a big place. There's a lot of stories they can pick up on. Rogue One was brilliant. It was, it, it was arguably the third best Star Wars film made. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even the best of the past couple of years. I don't know. I, I thought it was brilliant, and I watched it again this week, and I'll talk about it more and more watching. But it, for, it, it's possibly the third best Star Wars film for me. It, it was that good. Uh, yeah, but there's a lot There's a lot they can do. There's a, there's a lot of places they can go. Whether they'll carry on with the, the kind of Skywalker family saga after episode nine... I don't know. Um, you know, whether we'll have episodes 10, 11, 12, I don't know. Um, apparently as well, they want to go back quite far into the past in that universe and do one set around the time of the Knights of the Old Republic games as well. So, and they're very popular games. So, you know. But yeah, there's a, that, that, is, that is a plan. They, they plan on doing a lot more than just telling the Skywalker story, I think. Big surprise though, I think, right? I mean... Disney make billions and billions from Star Wars and no plan to keep making more. I mean, it, it's the most inevitable story that has been told. 
that you know in the news that Star Wars is going to continue for years and years. I mean, I said this after Rogue One came out, and I, in my review, I kind of lamented the fact that that Disney have now just got a stranglehold of the Christmas blockbuster until they decide they don't want to do Star Wars anymore, which will be never. You know, that's it. They've just got it now. There's no end to this. It's not like the old. You know, when you used to have a, 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 a film series, it would be a trilogy, you know, discounting stuff like Police Academy and Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween and stuff like that. I mean, like big blockbuster films that they would pump mi- hundreds of millions of pounds into. You'd have a trilogy that was told, you know, everything from Lord of the Rings and Hobbit to, to the original Star Wars and all the movies that have come between then, right? The big Christmas film. There it is, part one, part two, part three, done. But that it's not going to end for Star Wars. Every Christmas is just going to be a big Star Wars movie. And I really didn't like Rogue One. And I don't really care for it. And I used to quite like going to the cinema at Christmas with my family and stuff. And I'm not going to bother if it's always Star Wars. But then it, but then it wasn't for you, was it? Because you don't like Star Wars. But then it's, So you were never going to like Rogue One? Really? What I enjoyed, I enjoyed The Force Awakens. I just didn't enjoy Rogue One at all. I thought it was really boring. But that's like my point now. There's that's they, they've got the monopoly of it. You know, you won't be able to do the family trip to the cinema if you don't want to see Star Wars at Christmas, because it's that's all that's going to be. They on. also apparently, this is just a rumor, but there are rumors that as soon as George Lucas cuts it, they're going to go back and redo the prequels because he did such a bad job. Hmm. I will. I wouldn't be surprised if they start just remaking all of them. To be honest, they won't. I don't think they'll touch the original three. I think they're untouchable. They'll probably do it, or at least do it from a different perspective. Tell the same story, but from some different characters who were involved. Perspective. I don't know. But uh, that, I think you... they will. I think it's. I think that's another thing that's inevitable. Well, I mean, I like you were talking about the Marvel movies, right? And that was. Uh, 10 years, well it wasn't even 10 years ago that Iron Man came out, Iron Man and Hulk they came out in 2008 and we're, how, what, how many have they got planned to come out? It's till like 2022 or something right? Well, they've got, yeah they've got Infinity Wars 1 and 2, hmm. Guard, Guardians 2 which is out this year, Thor 3 which is out this year, yep. um, Black Panther, Captain Marvel um and then is there an Iron Man 4 plan? Captain America 4? Um, uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man? Spider-Man is kind of part of it, yeah. Um, yeah and, so and, just, you, and you yeah. keep hearing that they've got plans to just keep going and going and going and going. But what I think is different from Marvel... I know it's all Disney anyway, but I think what's slightly different from Marvel is there's no stranglehold on competition for... Christmas movies and it's a big deal I mean it sounds really stupid and silly to keep going on about it but I think it it's a big thing right it's like one of the most sought after spots for movies to be released in yeah, behind the and, uh, big summer blockbuster yeah the big summer blockbuster and even now we don't have the big summer blockbuster we have multiple big summer blockbusters yeah but Christmas is slightly different in that it's just like a one or two week period um so yeah Final 
of what we've been watching where we have a look at films we've seen in the last week or so that weren't new releases. Um, Brooker, as you were the late arrival to this podcast, why don't you um, tell us what you've seen? Uh, well, I'll tell you what, actually, because it kind of rolls into our our final review a bit later on, or our, our main release review a bit later on. In preparation for Alien Covenant coming out next month, month after next, I have this week started the Alien Saga quadrilogy, anthology, whatever you want to call it. So in the last you couple do that. of... You could, do, you could do all that in a day, couldn't you? Well, not when you've got a three-year-old in the house. Not really, no. All <laughs> of the Alien films, though, is... Like, are you just doing the original nope. four? Nope. Four, four Alien films, three Predator films, and two AVP films. See, because I, I was thinking of when I have um, a three-day a three soon, in about a week or so, possibly watching all eight and live tweeting all eight Star Wars films in a continuous period. That you, you you need to do that on a day that I'm off as well so I can follow the, the tweets. You can do it on the day when I'm at work so I don't have to follow <laughs> <it>. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about it. I think yeah. I think that'd get get yeah yeah. I don't know how long that would take. All eight day films they say they say they're two hours on average. Sixteen two, hours. Sixteen hours. So, yeah, doable. So, what's that, 8am to midnight? Yeah, something like that. Not bad. Yeah. That's what, you, that's would you what... do them in chronological order as well to get the crap ones out of the way before everyone else is uh, around? Yeah. 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 So, you could do the George Lucas prequels, Rogue One. Yeah. The three main ones. Yeah. And then Force, Force Awakens. Force Awakens. Mm. Yeah. You could do it just before going to the cinema to see the new one when that comes out this year. That's ages away, though. Yeah. Can't wait that long. No, can't wait. No, can't wait. Anyway, sorry, Brooker. You were no, no, it's, it's <laughs> fine. Well, well, this is kind of the thing, because I do want to watch these as close to Covenant coming out as possible, but at the same time, I, I'm very aware that if I'm lucky, I can do one a day, because I can't watch these with Nikita around for obvious reasons mm-hmm. you know so i kind of we started them this week because I, I dragged them all down from upstairs and they've been sat by the tv for ages and you know what so we've done alien which was 1979 and we've done aliens which is 1986 now aliens is still on my top five of all time films list it's one of my favorites ever and it doesn't matter how many times i watch it it's still one of the greatest films that i've ever seen as is alien i mean alien is a great great horror film it's a really claustrophobic horror film it's you know it's genius and perfection from start to finish but aliens lads it's it's accidentally one of the most quotable films in history it's a little bit a little bit bittersweet you know having bill paxton only just dying it was a bit sad because obviously you know he's the best he gets all the best lines in that film but yeah you know what these 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 films were absolutely, you know, like I say, 40, 50, whatever years old, 39 years old or whatever. They're absolutely brilliant. You know, so, so good. And I, I can't... I, I, I sat with Alien and I started writing my review for life when I, when I hit play on Alien. And the problem was it took me so long to get my life review done because I couldn't take my eyes off of the television. <laughs> and and I've lost count of how many times I've seen that that film. I can probably 
reel the script off off the top of my head with no issues at all. And the same for Aliens. But you just can't look away. It's so brilliantly put together. It's, it's a pleasure to watch this film every time I watch it. And the same for Aliens. Yeah. I, I obviously had to do it over a couple of days, but what a fantastic double bill. I'm so glad I've done it. I'm really looking forward to... I know a lot of people shit all over it. I'm really looking forward to Alien 3. I love Alien 3. Are you watching the theatrical cut or is no? I I will watch the producers' cut. I think they call producers, it on the right. on the Blu-ray because David Fincher had nothing to do with it. He didn't want mm-hmm. anything to do with it. But no, I I do watch the special edition cut, whatever they call it, because it's actually doing it that way. It's a, a spectacular. I mean, it's a good film anyway, but that cut is spectacular and adds quite a few uh, missing scenes. Yeah, because I've never seen that producer's cut i've only ever seen the original and watching the original it, it's just it's not great i don't think i think it's I, okay it's okay as a sort of prison yeah horror i think it tries but, very hard to bring back the claustrophobia of number one mm-hmm. uh it fails a little bit but i think i've got a bit of a soft spot for it. alien 3 was the first one i watched from start to finish and when i was a little kid I started watching Aliens. I think I've told this story before. And like within the first 20 minutes, I'd run out of the room. I didn't want to watch it anymore. Scared the living daylights out of me. Uh, but Alien 3 was the first one that I watched from start to finish and, and really enjoyed it. So then I went back and watched the others. But I tell you what, because I only watched the proper cut, the good cut, whatever they want to call it, mm-hmm. when I bought this uh, Blu-ray box set. I'd never seen it before. And you watch it and go, holy fuck, that's not, that's not a, a, a quick, you know, a couple of extra minutes. That's entire scene changes, like an, an entire scene put into this film. Like there are massive, massive tonal shifts in this film from the original cut. Mm-hmm. It, when I, mate, when I'm done with it, I'll have to send it down to you, or you'll have to next time you're driving by, come mm-hmm. get it because it is something special to watch. But yeah, that's pretty much me. I think. Okay, Owen, what have you seen? Well, Steve, into your hands I commend my spirit. Because I've seen The Passion of the Christ, uh, directed and written by Mel Gibson in 2004. Um, Is just in time for Easter? Just, <laughs> yeah. Mm. I, Still waiting for a sequel. <laughs> yep, mm-hmm. sequel's coming. Uh, I don't know whether... Do you think it's worth saying something like... Because I'm not religious, and I'm probably agnostic atheist so 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 you're saying it's not based on true events i think it's a fiction yes i don't think i've ever seen passion of the christ does it say based on a true story at the beginning of it it doesn't say based on a true story (laughs) i have to admit it it absolutely would if i made that film just to fuck with people or any likeness to to (laughs) people Is coincidental, <laughs> uh, or just a message that he used to put up at the beginning of Celebrity Deathmatch? Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, you're funny you should say that because it's probably twice as gory as a lot of Celebrity Deathmatch episodes. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I guess if you don't know exactly what it's about, because it's not just the entire life story of Jesus, I don't think there are many films that do that, but. Um, it tells the final 12 hours of um, Jesus Christ's life on earth. Like, from the moment that he's handed over to 
the uh, Hebrews, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people. Um, although I don't think that I think it is technically Hebrews rather than Jews, and then over to the Romans, and then up to his crucifixion, and then the film ends with his spoiler resurrection, right? So doesn't, doesn't it end with them all on the cross whistling, always look on the bright side of life? <laughs> no, you're confusing no? it with uh, Scorsese's Temptation of Christ. Um, right. Yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I also, right, I came up with this pun as I was watching it. I was watching is, it, is, I was, is it as good as mine for Viceroy of India? Because that is, that is the standard of pun we're all going for at the moment. No, unfortunately, the standard of my pun is very low because I then came across the same pun in about three different other reviews, which all said that it was a faithful adaptation. Oh, God. Uh, Do you get it? Faithful? Might as well just knock this on the head now. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, I mean, I was quite disappointed to find everybody. I don't want to crucify you for that pun, but it was pretty bad. Oh God, Steve! <laughs> I'm off. I'm done. <laughs> no that's, more. That's that's not a pun. <laughs> it's terrible. Jesus Christ. Um. So, uh, yeah, it stars Jim Caviezel. Is that how you pronounce his name? Caviezel or something? Yeah. Jim JC, the old JC stars <laughs> as Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> he, it, but it's got like a, a multinational cast actually. Um, you know, well, make, Mel Gibson for a well, start. All playing Jesus. Right? All playing. Um, what what would you call them? Judeans. I don't know. Is that if that's the right term? People from the people's Nazareth front of and Judea. Galilee, yeah. <laughs> but it's it's got like Romanians and Bulgarians and Italians and stuff in it, and Jim, you know Jim Caviezel's an American, and I think it gets away with this only because none of them are speaking in English. The whole film is in Latin, uh, Hebrew, uh, and b- m- mainly Aramaic. Supposedly, I don't know how much of that is accurate because you know Aramaic's like a it's a Extinct dead language. Dead language, yeah. Um, so yeah, other yeah. So it's basically it's it's. I don't know how real the language is in it. It's completely subtitled. Is what I'm getting at. It's an R-rated subtitled film that until um, recently was the highest-grossing R-rated film of all time. Do you remember which film knocked that off the list? Deadpool. It was Deadpool. Deadpool beat Jesus. As he should. The box office battle. Um, yeah, but so it's, it's completely subtitled. I read afterwards that apparently Mel Gibson didn't want to have subtitles in his film. He wasn't going to put them in at all. It was just going to be in and, a, a, you know, it forces us all to learn Aramaic just to watch his. Yeah. I mean, I quite it, like Mel Gibson, but man, that dude is a cunt. That's quite pretentious, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> to, to expect that the film would be able to convey everything through the actions of the actors and the expressions, but still have them speak Aramaic at the same time. Imagine being one of the actors that done that though. I know. Yeah. Dude, you're making me, you're making me do this for weeks and weeks and weeks. And no twat is going to know what I'm saying. Yep. But uh, he didn't do that in the end. They they put subtitles. Although if you watch it on Netflix, as I did, it's the annoying subtitled uh, closed caption. It looks like teletext. Yeah, exactly. It comes up, it's bad, it's really bad, and then it 
it has all the descriptions like you know Jesus Christ out in pain ah kind of thing <laughs> on it. It's like I can I can hear it still. There's no alternative subtitles. I like the fact that you could just mute your TV and just let the yeah. let the subtitles describe what's happening. Yeah, it's for deaf people, but at the same time, I don't. There should be an option to turn that off, but there yeah, isn't. I've had a couple of films on iTunes do something similar. It's, it's something I think, especially maybe with older films that are about to be done digitally for things like for VOD and Netflix and things. I think mm-hmm. it's they just an issue do there. One set, yeah, where it's yeah, so it tells you about all the the the, the tone of the music that's yeah. playing in the background and stuff, which you know is fine if you are deaf. I suppose it could help, but for me who is able to hear the screaming in agony and the orchestral... So, and the melancholy music. Yeah, or the choral religious music, I think it says <laughs> at one point. Um, yeah, but the other thing... Okay, so the main thing about Passion of the Christ, even if you haven't seen it, is that most people know that it's quite controversial, not just because it's about Jesus, which is automatically going to piss off loads of people anyway, but because it's really bloody... Gory and violent. Yeah. Um, it, it's almost known as being not torture porn, but because uh, that kind of implies that you're meant to enjoy seeing this happen. But that's completely counterpoint to what the film's trying to do. But it, it definitely is all about the um, brutality of it. Yeah. And that, which is the message of the film, right? Because that's it has to be brutal because that is literally the point of what Jesus goes through. It's literally what he did. He suffered for our sins and all that. So the idea is that he's absolutely tortured. He's whipped or flogged or whatever to within an inch of his life. You know, a crown of thorns is hammered into his skull. He's forced to carry the cross. He's hammered to it, all that kind of thing. Um, it's it's all shown. There's no cutaways in this. So like when he's being flogged and you see the the flesh literally torn out of his back, that's shown. He's they invented like this is true. They invented a new type of fake blood for this movie to make it look even worse. Oh, like hell. yeah. So the the whole thing here is that it is it is about the the violence. It, that's the point of this. Um, you're meant to watch it and go, fucking people, eh? Doing this to the son of God. What bastards we are. Um, but it has flashbacks and stuff, so it shows you more the the backstory. Yeah, I know it sounds weird as well, saying flashbacks in a story about <laughs> Jesus. But because it, it, it tries to then cut back to like the Last Supper and it shows a bit of him as just being a carpenter um, and all that kind of stuff. So it mixes that with his scenes of torture, essentially. Um, so it's very raw. It's very emotional as well. Um, because, I mean, although he's technically a deity, he's also, you know, what you're seeing is a person. So the person is having this excruciating um, pain inflicted upon him. Um, so it is quite an emotional thing to see. And I think mainly as well because it's the passion project for Mel Gibson to kind of get his Catholic guilt off his chest in a way. <laughs> you know. But the origin story for his Jewish hate. <laughs> yeah. So there's no 
objectivity to the story, but then that's not really a criticism because that's not what it's for. It's not supposed to be an objective biopic of a man who was treated badly by some Jewish people. Um, which again is another criticism, which I will come on to. In fact, I will do. I'll just say no, shall I? I mean, the the, the other criticism is that it was seen as anti-Semitic in some quarters because the the bad guys are the Hebrews in this. They really they are the people who choose to release a known murderer instead of this guy that they invited to join them only a few days earlier until he was pronounced the king of the Jews. And so then they all decided, no, he had to go. And the only way to get rid of him was because it's against their religion to kill someone, they hand him over to the Romans and say, you have to do it. And in this, the Romans are all going, mm, I don't think so. I don't think he's really that bad. And they're all going, no, you have to kill him. We're telling you to crucify him. And then it becomes a bit of a mob thing. So part of me thinks that is kind of anti-Semitic <laughs> to it do just, that in your film. Just a wee bit. But at the same time, if that's the story, that's the story, right? That, that If that's what's happened in the Bible, then that's the story they're trying to tell. So I'm kind of conflicted. I'm kind of conflicted. I've also read that there's Jewish rabbis who've come out and defended the film and said, actually, the people doing this weren't Jews. They were Hebrews, which are different anyway, um, which I didn't realise. But apparently Jewish religion only came out after Jesus anyway. Before that, it was different, which is news to me. In fact, to read up about all the history of this is what I find fascinating as well. Um, so, like, what I wanted to know was, what's the oldest surviving Bible? That was one of the things that I... A question that popped into my head. How accurate, in, for want of a better term, but how accurate is this to the original text? And so, the oldest surviving Bible, how old do you think that is? Well, if you had to place a century well, on the with, oldest surviving... With, with, the, with the Jesus story in it. The New Testament. The, yeah, yeah, New Testament. Then... Probably, I'd say, like, 600 AD. 600? Yeah. yeah. The nearest, yeah. Yeah, i go with that, yeah. 1,500 years old. Because it, it was all, like, rewritten. It was all taken yeah. from loads of different sources, and then they picked the bits that they wanted in there, the, the God people. The, uh, <laughs> the God Later, people. yeah, and they all, did. All, all, the, all the the people who who were kind of um, not starting Christianity, but kind of organising it, um, rebooted they, it. There was there was lo there was loads of different gospels that that didn't make the cut, um, mm -hmm. and they they kind of picked the. Some people would say they picked the bits that suited their agenda best. So yeah, the, Bi the Bible as we know it, I reckon about. Like 600 AD was the earliest still surviving copy, or it's, you know, yeah, that's not far off. It was it was actually um, in 300 AD, so the fourth century, which is to me bonkers because to have something that survived and readable from. So, that what language ago, is it in? Greek. Cool. Yeah, 
Yeah. So basically, wasn't trying to be is, funny. I was actually genuinely interested. Yeah, yeah. It is really interesting. It's the Codex Sinaiticus, I think, is how you pronounce it. Sinaiticus, um, which is worth, and the Codex Vaticanus. But it's uh, also mad to think that the the first, well, the the, the the most, the earliest surviving copy was from four hundred years after the the event. Well, yeah, 300 years, probably less, if you think that Jesus was supposed to have died in, like, I think it was sometime between 7 and 70 AD, is what they estimate. Uh, yeah. If he lived, that's when he was probably around. So it was probably about 200 years after the event, which, to us, right, that's like reading a book from 1800. Well, it's a bit, a bit more to it than that, because it's, it's, it would be like reading a book now that was written now, but based on events from 200 years ago with not Mm -hmm. that much to go on but the other thing like you have to consider as well is that the rate of reprinting books was not that frequent so there was only um monks who could read and they could mostly only read latin and greek um they also i mean the, the this codex synaticus that i was reading about which is the oldest surviving one what it was written onto would have cost the entire lifetime earnings of one person. Jesus. So, and it was handwritten by four different people, three of whom apparently were atrocious spellers. So, like, because it's a manuscript, so manuscript is handwritten. So it's a handwritten, badly handwritten, misspelt book, which is a copy of another book, which would have probably been 100 years old anyway. Probably older, even. So that when you then you get down to it, because this wasn't them writing it off their own backs. You know, this is how monks work. They copied other scripts. So really, the book. I mean, it's not that far removed. It's it's like it's. You've heard. Like, I mean, it's a pop- popular um um bit of trivia, isn't it? That the one of the 17th president of the United States, something like that, in 1790, died in 1790, has two two surviving grandchildren now. Yeah. Like today. And that's one of those weird things where he had a kid when he was like 70-something years old and then his son had a kid when he was 70-something years old and now he has two surviving 70-year-old grandchildren or something like that. So it could be that it was written within three generations of Jesus being around, supposedly, allegedly, you know? So, I mean, it's quite, that just, that I find is quite freakish and weird. And I I find that quite hard to get my head around. And you also know that, for example, like the Dead Sea Scrolls were written, like they were in 400 to 300 BC, right? So that predates Jesus and that's the Old Testament stuff. So you've got the Old Testament 300 to 400 BC, uh, or 400 to 300 BC, I should say, and then this stuff, which is 600 years later. So somewhere in between, there's all this history and story that happened and was manipulated and changed and then oh. written and rewritten. Um, I just find that baffling. Like, it's not that far removed from today. Like, when I was a kid, I knew someone said, oh, yeah, the Bible was written 2,000 years ago. And you go, fucking hell, 2,000 years. It's unimaginable. <laughs> but now you think about it more logically, it's it's not 
that hard to imagine how it survived. But still, it's it's. I find it fascinating. I'm going off topic massively. Um, I read the book. Um, Blackwell's published it. I think. I thought you were going to say the Bible then. <laughs> no, well, I, actually, I haven't ever read the Bible. And watching the Passion of the Christ made me think I should probably read the Bible. If not for you know to teach myself good Christian values, but just to read it and be interested by what is the quote unquote greatest story ever told and stuff. Um, so maybe to to read that, but I haven't read that. I have read a very short introduction to the Bible, which was published by Blackwell's Publishing. Is that like um, Bible for Dummies? It's yeah. So this is all the stuff that that Steve was on about. It's not necessarily a recap of what's in the Bible. It's all about how the Bible came to be and how it went from the original manuscripts to the St James Bible and all the stuff in between. Um, because St James Bible was like seventeen hundred or something like that, I think. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's the most frequently used one. But actually, if you consider like the rate of, like when we think about rates of copying stuff now and reprinting, if you think, well, we publish stuff all the time. There were books published, you know, millions of books are published every year. Then there weren't. There just wasn't the mechanisms to do that. So all the mistakes probably, aside from human error, which are, you know, misspelling words and therefore changing the meaning of sentences or accidentally missing bits out and stuff or adding stuff in, whatever. You know, they wouldn't have been as frequent changes as, like, what would have happened with the printing press and stuff. Because all that takes is a couple of minor errors to change something. And then that would have been reprinted thousands of times, hundreds of thousands of times. And then that just gets redrafted and stuff. So... Yeah, massively off topic, but <laughs> it's it's one of those like rabbit holes that you fall down after watching something like this, where you just go through all these Wikipedia pages and all the, the the text and the history of it is what I find quite fascinating. So I kind of liked the film. I kind of liked the movie. I thought, yeah, it was brutal, but I understood why it was brutal. And it wasn't, I mean, I've seen, I would say Martyrs is worse in terms of, I would probably even say Wolf Creek is worse, but you know that's different kind of. But they're horror films. Violence, yeah, they're they're meant to be. Um, the violence is purposely there not to convey a certain message, but to horrify. Whereas yeah. I think this is carrying meaning more so than than those kind of films. But at the same time, you know. It didn't. It didn't put me off the film. I can see why it's an R-rated movie. Um, I did read as well in the Philippines. It's like thirteen-year-olds. Fine, go ahead. When I think here, it would be like an eighteen. I think it was um, an eighteen here, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was I in the Philippines. They're like, nah, fuck it. You know, if you've got a <laughs> parent with you, it's all right. It's fine. I it's don't. Only... I don't think I've ever seen Passion of the Cross, but it's one of those films that you go, holy balls! Like in the states, assuming you have an over seventeen-year-old with you. If you really felt the need, you could take a ten-year-old in to see that. Mm. And that's really not okay. <laughs> no. So, yeah, but it's a, it's a, it's a. It was always guaranteed to make a lot of money. I think it was made for thirty million dollars, um, which I was going to say is about fifteen million pounds, but the current exchange rate it's is about probably 30 about million. thirty million pounds. Yeah. Um, so it's thirty million dollars, and it grossed like. Over ten times that, three hundred seventy million dollars. Wow. 
uh, in America alone, never mind the world. What I mean, you can imagine, like, what it raked in from South American countries, Central American countries, from, you know, Italy, places like that, where it's, yeah. So, I mean, it, it was always going to... The boycott those religious in. nutbags tried to roll out was a, a huge success then. Apparently so, yeah. But in, in Israel, it wasn't shown because there was no interest in it, supposedly. <laughs> Which I think is quite funny. I can't so imagine just, that going down well in Israel. No, <laughs> probably not. Um, but yeah, but so I did really like it. I it hasn't converted me. I can. I think if you can look past what is a clearly very biased. Uh, is biased the right word as well? But you know what I mean. Like it's from a very particular perspective. Um. So some people are automatically going to hate it. You know, militant atheists will detest it and probably not be able to look past its Catholic morals. Um, and it's a, it is kind of... You can see why it's been seen as being somewhat anti-Semitic. But at the same time, as a movie, it's quite well made. It looks great, you know. Acting's pretty good. Um, I mean, Jim Caviezel as, as Jesus is um, very good. And um, yeah, but I mean, like I say, just all it led to me was I watched this. I watched Apocalypto afterwards, actually, as well. Mel Gibson's the movie that... Oh, God. Um, I see. Yeah, I did. I never liked Apocalypto the first time I saw it. I, I really, in fact, hated it. Um, it, it. It was a bit better this time. I wouldn't say I liked it. Apocalypto, I have seen, and that's a hard-going movie. It's it's long kinda... and not very interesting. <laughs> no, that's the main issue with Apocalypto: is the story's guff. Like, the, there should have been more to it. Like, it has really cheap humour in it as well, which yeah. is out of place. Um. Anyway, so yeah, Apocalypto. I'm not talking about that because I've just spent like forty minutes talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Passion of the Christ was worth a watch, and I will not be reading the Bible, but I will probably read the Wikipedia page. On it. <laughs> okay, um, I saw a film um, that we mentioned a little bit earlier in the podcast, and one that also features a character that was the result of a virgin birth. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just Darth Vader, Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> I'm not mm-hmm. wrong. Is that true? Yeah, he's in 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 uh, Phantom Menace, you find out that he didn't actually have a dad. He was just conceived. Just one day, she was pregnant. His mum. What? So. I genuinely didn't take that from the Phantom Menace at all. She yeah. says it. She says. She says. The Qui Gon Neeson says to her, <laughs> "Who's who's who's a dad?" And she says. There was no dad. I, I, he, you know, I raised, I gave birth to him. I raised him. There, there was no dad. And the, and the thought among uh, some Star Wars, no, the, the thought <laughs> among some Star Wars fans is that he was created by the Force, possibly by uh, the Emperor's um, master before the Emperor killed his master. I think that because, might be reading between the lines there. No, I, I think, think that no, because the, when you when you read. Um, before, this is before Disney took it over and 
and some things became non-canon, the Emperor's Master was doing all kinds of experiments with the Force about creating life and extending life. So, so far we've got Jesus and Dr. Mengele. Yeah, We're pretty much. Doing all right so far. <laughs> and Darth Vader. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, no, certainly, but yeah, I, I'd say that in jest to, to, as a tenuous link between the two films. Um, but no, I saw, I saw Rogue One again for the first time since I saw it in the cinema, and I still think it's brilliant. It's the first, it's obviously the it's a Star Wars film, first standalone Star Wars film set outside the main Skywalker saga. And it is about the plans to, or the mission to steal the Death Star plans um, by the Rebels. And it's the first and so far only Star Wars film where the Force, the Jedi and the Sith are not kind of main factors. Uh, although Darth Vader is in the film um, in a couple of scenes, it's, it's sort of set away from the Force being a, a, a main plot point. And it's perhaps a better film for it. Because um, it's just it's just a really fun action heist film with some space battles and things like that thrown in. It's just... The, 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 it's funny, it's adventurous it's everything a star wars film should be i probably enjoyed it more than the force awakens i really like the force awakens it's just it, it for me it was just fantastic. it was just perfect star wars really perfect star wars yeah well not perfect nothing's perfect but it was you know it, for me it was an eight and a half nine out of ten star wars film mm-hmm. it I- was just it is it it linked it linked between you know it linked up with a new hope perfectly it it had just enough Darth Vader to to kind of really put over how much of an iconic villain he is and to be intimidated by him it had good characters it had a decent plot it had it had likable characters it had joke there there wasn't really much that that made it down. I mean, I wanted to. I, I even wanted to know more about some of the characters um, that you didn't find out too much about. It was quite brave. And can, can I give away spoilers really now? Because everyone who's going to want to have seen Rogue One seen, haven't they? Mm, is it out on VOD yet? Uh, no, it's out on Blu-ray next week, I think. Okay, so no. <laughs> Basically, okay. just a short answer. Okay. Um, <laughs> What happened happened and and <laughs> it, it it happened and it it was good. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know it, there was enough there was a, there was enough callbacks to other other Star Wars films or different parts of the trilogy to make you kind of or the, you know Star Wars films to 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 pay lip service to the fans without being as heavy handed as what what The Force Awakens was, because that was well I love The Force Awakens. It was very heavy-handed in terms of its its references to other Star Wars films and characters and moments. Did you think so? Because my impress I've just had a quick look at my notes that I wrote about Rogue One after I saw it. And I said yeah. it's a film made specifically for people who already love Star Wars and nobody else. You know, but um, it exists I'd... to please those people who are supposed to like it. And I don't think it's going to win anyone else over. I'd 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 say it's lesser because The Force Awakens 
was a, almost a blow-by-blow blow remake of A New Hope with bits of other Star Wars films thrown in. And then there was lots of nods and references and callbacks to other Star Wars films and characters. Where in, in Rogue One, yes, there was, but it wasn't as heavy-handed and it was... It was a standalone film, but it was more you could watch it in isolation because it was just these people need to get these plans. You could watch that without watching any other Star Wars film and still think, I think it was a not it wouldn't be as good if you didn't take it as part of the Star Wars universe. But you'd watch it and think, you know, that was that was an okay sci-fi film. Um, Do you reckon? Say, yeah. I just don't. I think it's the other because, way. Because, because, because none of the characters are tied in. Yeah, all right. There's, there's. Take away Darth Vader, who's in in about two or three scenes, and and Moff Tarkin, who they they CGI'd into it, who was in two or three scenes. There's no characters from other Star Wars films in there, um, other than maybe a couple of uh, a couple of background characters with a couple of lines. There's no characters from previous Star Wars films. Um, I don't. I don't there's... think that's necessarily the 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 thing that makes it i mean like i think what i meant was and I, I, I i kind of have a vague memory of what i meant but i think that basically the thing with star wars the force awakens is that it's a, it's a reintroduction so you don't need to have seen the other films it helps but it explains everything as it goes along because like you say it's kind of like a blow by blow um remake not not directly remake because it's a sequel but it it Follows the same pattern as A New Hope, but for a new audience. So it's saying, this is Star Wars. This is what Star Wars is about. This is the kind of things that have meaning in this world. And these are the kind of characters you should root for. And these are the kind of characters you shouldn't root for. Whereas Rogue One exists solely on the proviso that you are already invested in everything. So you know all of this stuff. And therefore it doesn't bother trying to create the world. It kind of expects you to already know the world and not just know the world, but like it. So instead of spending any amount of time building character of the Star Wars universe, it just kind of plunks a load of really dodgy, dull characters into a kind of basic heist movie with pointless side quests in it and it doesn't it doesn't give you any reason to to care about any of those people if you don't already like star wars um because a lot of the film is just shots of nothing right it's all like have you seen the original star trek movie not the 2009 one the um motion picture star trek the motion picture and this is gonna this is gonna piss off both sets of fans when i compare the two of them (laughs) But I think they both do the same thing in that it's going, and here's some pretty spaceships, and here's this landscape of a planet. Um, here's some things that can fire lasers. And I just kind of... It's it's just not got substance, is my issue. It's, it's taking it for granted that its audience are predisposed to already liking this kind of thing. So I found it very um, empty because I don't really care about Star Wars and it didn't try to make me care about it. So like, I see what your point is though, Steve, because it doesn't have lots of characters and things from other Star Wars movies, but I, I did find it slightly un, 
friendly. For, okay. For some. Um, I've also seen uh, this week two Netflix specials, um, stand ups by Dave Chappelle, who is he's, he's back now. Um, he's been away for a while doing whatever, but I was a big fan of his, his stand up, uh, Killing Them Softly, and the other one, and Chappelle Show, the kind of sketch show he did um, over 10 years ago now, and they were all hilarious and his new stand-ups he's done for Netflix while not at that level are still definitely worth a watch if you're a fan of his work or that kind of comedy nice yeah man I like I've got Killing Him Softly uh, on DVD I really quite like that show it's a really yeah. funny show have you ever seen Chappelle's show the sketch show he did yeah yeah I've seen a few of them yeah 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 so yeah these these two are they're decent they're not they're not anywhere near his his best but they're decent. They're worth a watch. We'll get a laugh out of them. Netflix are putting an awful lot of money into stand-up at the moment. Man. They are. Jim Jeffries did a Netflix special and so many stand-ups I have actually lately. Yeah, I know Chris has got another one coming this year. I know not, not a lot of people in the UK know who he is, but I, I, I find him very funny. And he's... I suppose it's I suppose it's easy for Netflix because these guys are doing a tour anyway. Yeah. And it's just sort of like, can we just come and record one of your, one of your, your shows? And then we'll give you some money and we'll put it on Netflix. And therefore, we're just like, yeah. I don't know how much money they get from, from Netflix for these things, though. Well, they, they must get a load because it they, they, they used to be a, an industry basically owned by HBO. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, Louis C.K.'s got something coming up soon, hasn't he? Yeah. Netflix. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and that's a big name for, for Netflix to drag mm. in. Mm. So, yeah. Two films to review as new releases for you this week. We're going to start off with Power Rangers, uh, which Owen has seen. Go, go, Power Ranger! No, it's um, oh, it's God. nothing oh, like sorry. the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. I've put do that they, in there as a little... Do, uh, they, do they say it's Morphin Time? Uh, no. Well, that's good. No that's, Morphin Time. It, you know what's really funny, actually? I My brother went to see it yesterday, my youngest brother, and he, is, he was so excited for it. He's like... I'm like, why? Because it just looks rubbish. He's like, when I grew up with it, I was like, holy shit. He's like three months older than Owen. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. fuck. Mm. Well, a- I'm only like a month older than Steve, I think, or two months older than Steve. So, Steve, you must have grown up with P- Power Rangers as well, right? I grew up knowing his existence. I had better things to do in my life. Yeah, uh, yeah, better things to do at seven years old than to watch Power Rangers and play with Power Rangers toys and... I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Anyone who was at that age and didn't watch Power Rangers. It's, for me, it was like a, a very brief but staple part of my childhood. It was one of those things where it came on uh, GMTV, I think, here in the UK, in 1994, and was, uh, like, fantastic. It was, you didn't, I didn't quite realise how shit it really was as I have revisited a couple of episodes from the series prior to going to watch Power Rangers. It's, <laughs> still, it's, it's still going in some form, though, isn't it? Oh, my God, there are so many iterations of it. There's just so many, like, revivals and different versions and different types of Power Rangers. I just don't... All I remember is the original from 94. That's it. I can just remember um, the Green Ranger being introduced. That was like, I was actually talking to Matt Latham on Twitter 
and he said that the Power Rangers, the five-part arc where they introduced the Green Ranger was his first memory of serialised TV. Like a story that was told over a number of episodes. Wow. Which I was trying to think about, like, what else could have possibly done that for me in 94, but, I mean, maybe the animated Spider-Man show, if that was around then, that might have been a year or two later, or... Um, some other cartoon, or but I don't think there really was. I think it probably, actually, in retrospect, was the same for me as well. Watching those five episodes that came out, one I looked up the dates for these as well. They came out on the Monday, and then it was Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and it had finished. But I seem to I have this like really quite clear memory of sitting down and watching it and being blown away by each episode. I'm thinking this is just the the coolest thing ever. They've introduced a new Power Ranger, and it was only in like the first series, halfway through. So like, <laughs> so it wasn't even like, it built to something. It was just like, and here's another one. We'll sell some green Power Ranger toys as well. Um, they were also very tied down to what was happening in the Japanese series, because um, Power Rangers literally ripped off some Japanese show. Just literally all the or everything that you see with the Power Rangers in costume came, including the monsters and Rita Repulsa, who was the witch. Everything was ripped straight from a Japanese TV show, and it they just added like all the American well. bit. Yeah, and there were there were so many. Like that's another rabbit hole I fell down recently. Was like uh, on, on the internet was just looking up the introduction the intro music the intros for all these different power rangers <laughs> rip-off shows and seeing how many i could remember do you remember Beetleborgs? no no guessing no. steve didn't either no um, vr troopers yep yeah yes um superhuman samurai cyber squad no 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 <laughs> sounds awesome though yeah i know yeah there's there's just like so many of these shows that you watch them and it's like, it's a nostalgic thing. You know, you watch it. There's no real benefit to doing it other than remembering things you used to watch. Um, but it actually is kind of devastating as well because then <laughs> you get the realisation of, my God, these shows were awful. I quite literally wasted my childhood watching this awful shit. Yeah. I mean, like, the, for for every one positive, like... It tells you the morals of being a young person and having to choose carefully who your friends are and all that kind of thing uh, is then thrown away by having like the the Black Power Ranger in a flying VW Beetle. <laughs> like, oh, it just wow. takes Kimberly the Pink Ranger off for a ride in, in the sky in his little flying car. Think, oh my goodness me, this is this isn't good. See, I remember um, the Pink Ranger. Yeah. Yeah. She's Maybe. been in. She's the only one who's gone on to do other things and had uh, a bit she, of success. She was in that Canadian SWAT show, wasn't she? Yeah. Amy Joe Johnson. That's her. Uh, yeah. 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 So she's the only one who's really gone on to have any degree of success on screen. But that's because, um, you know, I suppose being the guy that walks into auditions going, "I was the black one," is isn't well, really much of a CV. Yeah, so it sounds like I'm going on and on and on about the old show, whereas really I should be reviewing the new movie, right? Which is directed by Dean Israelite and written by John Gattins. John Gattins is the guy who wrote Real Steel, uh, which is a very good film. I like Real Steel. 
yeah. And uh, he also recently co-wrote Kong School Island. That's his most recent movie. Cool. Um, and Dean Israelite is the guy behind Project Almanac. Project Almanac is just basically Power Rangers with time travel and without the costumes. Um, they're very similar kinds of movies, uh, although shot in a different different sort of way. But um, what I was going to get at was, in terms of like the difference between what people might remember as Power Rangers, um, is not what this movie is. I think one of the biggest issues they w- they had to deal with was, I mean, again, as Steve mentioned, there's like so many different versions of Power Rangers. Each one will have its own audience. You know, the people who grew up watching that version of Power Rangers. Um, and so how could a movie cater to all of those different audiences? And I think essentially they just said, we're not going to bother. What we'll do is we'll make a new type of Power Rangers. Something from the very beginning, we'll, it doesn't matter about any of the old law of the world. Nobody gives a fuck about that because let's face it, it was shit anyway. Um, all you've got in this is five teenagers and they are all different uh, ethnicities, kind of-ish. Mm, well, they all represent different, diverse peoples. Um, <coughs> and okay. They, yeah. Well, but, okay, so, like, in the original, you had the uh, the the leader was the muscly white guy, right, the Red Ranger. The girl, the white girl, was the pink Power Ranger. The, I shift you not, Chinese one was the Yellow Ranger. The black guy was the black Power Ranger, and then the nerdy guy was um, the blue Power Ranger. Uh, in this, the new movie, I think they kind of realised that there's some good to having this diverse mix of people, uh, of kids, and to show that anyone can be a hero, all that kind of stuff. Um, but that perhaps, <laughs> perhaps the original was quite abrasive in that sense. So... The black guy in this is the blue Power Ranger, and the black guy is the yellow Power Ranger, but... No, sorry, the the, the yellow Power Ranger is the Chinese... Oh, hang on, I'll get this right in a minute. The Chinese guy is the black Power Ranger. You were absolutely the- so close to tripping over and saying the yellow uh, guy. Yeah, <laughs> I almost... <laughs> I could feel it. It was almost going to tumble out, but I had to just shut up. Um... And there's the Hispanic girl is the yellow ranger and then the pink ranger's girl and the red ranger is the white guy again, right? But then, like, it's... What, what it also does is it has the blue power ranger, who's the black guy, is... I'm doing the quote-unquote waggly finger thing. Autistic, right? He's He's not autistic. He doesn't say he's autistic. He says he's on the spectrum. And so I think that's their way of saying, and you can also be disabled and a Power Ranger. Um, but what they mean by autistic, or sorry, on the spectrum, what they mean by on the spectrum is he doesn't get jokes sometimes and he's good with numbers. So, I mean, it's very Hollywood idea of autism. Yeah. Someone on the spectrum, someone with Asperger's or something. Um, because he also cracks jokes and he does get along with the others and he recognises emotions and all that kind of thing. So I don't really know what that was about, to be honest. I think that was just a token nod to say. A tick box. Yeah, I think it was, yeah, possibly a tick box thing of, 
but we also recognise that you don't have to be a sort of standard, able-bodied, regular Joe to be a Power Ranger. You can also be this, which is quite nice, but at the same time, a bit fluffy. Was it, it kind was of like heavily-handed crowbarred into it, just say, look, look, you can be on the spectrum and be a superhero, or was it just kind of briefly mentioned and then later on, oh yeah, he's good with numbers because <laughs> he needs numbers? No, it was a little bit kind of badly no badly handled sounds wrong it wasn't badly handled it was just like dumped in there um and you're meant to just accept it that he is on the spectrum because look here he's been told to put the box down and just literally let's go of the box and later on you figure out oh he's in his room his superpower everyone else has got super strength and they're running around this abandoned mine and jumping over large gaps he's in his bedroom working on numbers and maps and you think well okay <laughs> fair enough um they've at least had a go at it i think that's kind of how the whole film felt actually they've had a go at doing a power rangers story because there was not really any power rangers in there it takes about an hour and 10 minutes into the movie which is about two hours long which is also far too long yeah. um, to get to them in their costumes fighting things and i'm not Saying that what it should have been is two, well, 90 minutes even of them running around beating up monsters. But some of that would have been nice early on. I mean, the idea is that they're teenagers with attitude and yet they don't... And autism. Not, they don't have... A, yeah, but they don't have attitude. They're just like whiny, kind of unrelatable characters. So... Character uh, characterization is pretty weak in this. Uh, Elizabeth Banks plays Rita Repulsa, and she's uh, very much enjoying her role. I think uh, she's having a lot of fun as the bad guy, um, going around stealing gold to try and resurrect a giant golden monster. Um, and the, it kind of is lame. It's very lame. It's got a breakfast club vibe about it to begin with because they all meet in detention on a Saturday uh, no sorry three of them oh, meet in God. detention on a Saturday yeah yeah um, and so they're meant to be the social outcasts but like literally any of them in your school if you'd have known them in your school would not have been the outcast misfits like for a start they're meant to be in their teens only one of them was in their teens whilst the filming of this movie was done and she was 19 years old. I mean, the oldest guy in it, the guy who was the, the Chinese fella, uh, Ludi Lin, um, the actor who plays Zach, who's also the crazy one. He was 29. What the hell? <laughs> he, he does not it's look... Like, it's like Dawson's Creek. He, it is a lot like Dawson's Creek, exactly. Um, but, um, yeah. So, anyway, anyway, it's it takes a long time for them to do any Power Rangers thing. They're all a bit boring. Um... Not really much characterization going on. Ultimately, it's it fills the gap that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film has plugged and the Transformers film has plugged. Although it's slight, it's less actiony than either of those. Um, but I'm not sure whether it was supposed to be. I don't know. Anyway, montage is ahoy. Uh, Characters going around with very specific stereotyped 
personalities and a big bad monster made from CGI that they have to smash at the end. Ta-da, there is your Power Rangers movie. Was Ivan Ooze in it? Nope. Not interested. No Ivan Ooze. Yeah, no, no flying car either. I thought that would have been great. A little <laughs> nod to the ridiculousness <laughs> of the other one. But no, it's just... Um, it's I, I, I said in the review online, I wrote a review. First review I've written for ages on um, Foul Critics, actually, was uh, I said it's a broad mishmash of Fantastic Four, the recent Fantastic Four, minus any body horror, um, with less character dev- development, I would say, uh, and also a bit like Marvel Cinematic Universe at its most vanilla. That's what it is. Inoffensive popcorn munching blockbuster-ish type thing. Okay. It's there. It's there. It exists. Okay, well, me and Brooker have seen Life this week, and Life is a film starring Ryan Reynolds and Jake Gyllenhaal as astronauts above the in, in the International Space Station who pick up a sample from Mars which contains a very basic form of life and the first form of life found beyond Earth. But all goes wrong um, and for Brooker it goes wrong in more well, more ways than one because you didn't like the film I did not and the more I think about it actually the more I dislike it so yeah so I said I said earlier on that I, I was uh, I was watching Alien while I was writing the review and I think I actually wrote in the review that I was watching Alien as I write this and as you watched Alien and then thought about this film you go this thing is so, so derivative. I I cannot get over just how much has been stolen from other films and put into this. And literally everything from Alien to Gravity to The Abyss, everything has had something nicked from it and put into this so very boring film. I don't know what it is about... I no, I kind of know what it is. I watched the trailers for this film and thought this could be interested i thought it's not going to be great but it could be interesting and you know it's, it's been it's been called a horror film as all i'm i'm all up for this you know the more horror the better absolutely and i think that's where it fell over for me is when i sat down and watched this film and there was not one single scare not one not even a crappy jump scare it was just so so dull and so so very long uh, you know it's only an hour and 45 minutes but it felt so much longer I, I i didn't think i'd be able to be bored in a space-based monster movie and <laughs> i was quite badly for for a lot of it i think i think it was quite cool to get like those three stars in this film together. I think that was kind of cool, but I don't think they actually, you know, us three could have been those three people and it would have made less difference. You know, there was no characterization to them at all. I didn't care about any of them. I thought they were all just cardboard cutouts of actual people until, you know, one of them was murdered horribly by a monster. That was fun. I like the monster in life. Monster in life. What was, what was its name? Calvin. Calvin, that was it. Hmm. Calvin the monster. <laughs> <laughs> but 
Because it was named by school children and they named it after their school. Calvin Coolidge, who was an American president, but it, I think. But it doesn't make it better, though, does it? It's still <laughs> well, Calvin no. the Space Monster. Well, yeah, but when they called it Calvin, it wasn't a monster, was it? This is Calvin the Space Jellyfish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which which may have only kicked off because they tried electrocuting it. Yeah. This I is... mean, we don't, we don't know if they had just, like, not electrocuted it, if it would have been all right. I suppose that's kind of true, but they did try to electrocute it, and then, you know, all hell broke loose. Yeah, um, but uh, for me, I kind of I see what you're saying, and yeah, it did. Um, to put it bluntly, rip off a lot of other and a lot of better films. Um, it was essentially Gravity with an alien in it, or a, a light version of the Thing or Alien. But I still found it enjoyable. It's not particularly memorable. Uh, it wasn't great. No one done a great acting performance in it. But as it's just a sci-fi film for an hour and a half or so, yeah, it's fine. For me, I don't really have much more to say about it. But it was fine. <laughs> it was, you know, it, I, there, I've spent far worse durations of that amount of time watching films before. I come out of it, I thought, yeah, I, I like that. Um, Everything about it was predictable, but even even you know the way the plot panned out, um, none of the performances were particularly top draw. Nothing was interesting. Nothing was new. I don't have a problem to an extent with films being inspired by being nicely or ripping off being rude. Uh, other films, it it was just a fine action sci-fi film. Well, for sure. I mean, it's definitely it's okay to be inspired by these films. Yeah, because. You know, I mean, we've all said a million times it's tough to make an actual original film nowadays because there's not that many new ideas kicking around. But I just I didn't find it enjoyable. I th- I th- what would have made this film better, I think, is just playing a li- playing it a little bit more for atmosphere. You know, I would have wanted to have been on the edge of my seat. Yeah, predictable, absolutely. We would have seen everything coming, but. You know, a little bit of you know good music to drag the tension out of you a bit. A little bit of acting, maybe from the people in it. Uh, I don't know. I just and you're right. We've all sat and watched much worse films, but I think that might be one of the bigger one of its biggest problems is the fact that if I come out of a film that's really really shit and I I really resent the fact that I've spent time watching it and it gets me really angry, that's one thing. But for me to walk out of the cinema drive home and the wife go how was it and my immediate reaction was and not really have anything else to say about it I think that's worse for me to be so kind of just I just don't care (laughs) for for me to just not really give two shits about the film I just saw I think is is worse than it making me angry because the film just made me really angry because of how shit it is I can say to the wife, watch this. This is fucking awful. You know, when it comes on Sky Movies. But when life comes on Sky Movies, I just go, well, if you want to watch it, record it. I'll go out, pick my toes or something. I'm I'm not watching this again. Um, I mean, that is more or less it for this week's podcast. Um, Just have some recommendations ahead. I think you two are going to recommend the same thing. So I'm going to go for more for on Wednesday 
Nine O'Clock is Gladiator, a film that I haven't seen for a long, long time, but I'm going to watch it again this week. Awesome. Uh, and you two are, are recommending what? There's a film that has come out on um, VOD Digital today, which uh, at time of recording, I should say, uh, 27th of March. It's due out on DVD on the 10th of April, and it is a film called Anti-Birth, uh, which, Brooker, you've written a review of on the website today. What is Anti-Birth about? Can you describe Anti-Birth? An- Not really, <laughs> No. <laughs> Uh, okay, so Antibirth is basically a film about a, a woman who wakes up one day after a one, after one of many uh, nights of binging whatever it is she's Substance binging. Substance abuse. Wake, uh, yeah, a little bit. Wakes up one day and discovers she is pregnant and doesn't know how. And weird, cheap indie horror, body horror ensues. Yes, but is I mean, it's kind of really good in lots of respects. I mean, considering it's just, um, yeah, I mean, it, is, it seems inexpensive. It's got quite a lot of creativity involved in there. There's lots of paranoia, uh, as you would expect. But I think you said in the review, it's a weird subgenre that's existed for the past couple of years. Um, or it's getting more prominent over the, the past couple of yeah, years. Yeah, I, I had no idea it was a thing. I had no idea that pregnancy horror was a mm. thing. But if you Google pregnancy horror, the list... Okay, you get some weird ones that aren't pregnancy horror at all because Google lumps a severe amount of shit yeah, in yeah, together. Yeah. But there are loads. Well, pre- like, Prevenge absolutely came loads, out earlier this year. Um, which I'm, I'm still bitter about mm-hmm. that because it just didn't show anywhere near me at all yeah. and I couldn't get down to see uh, a screening at Prince Charles. Yeah. And a mate of mine came home, uh, came home, came around and said it was really good. I was like, Oh, you bastard! <laughs> I live in a place where they think picture houses are a thing owned by Cineworld. Mm-hmm. You know, but yeah, I I really really liked Andy Birth. It was gross. Mm-hmm. It God, it was so gross. It was that shit mental. It was a load of fun. I really really yeah. liked Andy Birth. So it's got like hallucinations in it. It's got weird dream sequences. Uh, it does have. It's not quite Cronenberg-esque um, body horror. It's cheap Cronenberg. Y- yeah, it's kind kind of cheaper <laughs> Cronenberg. It's it's just kind of crazy, <laughs> is what it is. And you won't. Uh, you will try it, and you will think you've got it, but you will never ever guess the fucking ending. That, I just don't. That was just weird. I just <laughs> I couldn't. I mean, I literally sat there going, "What the fuck is this? What yeah. is going on?" We- we done the same thing literally with me and the wife. We sat there watching. We got to the end. And went, what the fuck <laughs> did we just see? Yeah. What the holy fuck was that? Um, uh, uh, was out- Elise, outstanding. Film. Elisa, my wife, came back and she caught the last ten. I say she caught the last ten minutes of it. She would not look at the screen. She wouldn't watch it. <laughs> um. So yeah, it's very, very gruesome. In towards the end. That is it for this week. Uh, so thank you all for listening. Um, and we'll be back next week. Owen, with who and what? Don't know yet, because the agenda's been emailed around to everybody. So we have to see who gets okay. back to us. And then um, we've mm. had a lot of replies. We've had uh, James has offered to come back for an episode. We're doing over the next few weeks. Brooker, you've put your name down for a few. Yeah. Matt Lamborn signed up. Um, Tony has signed up for a few. And uh, Maya 
has signed up for a few as well. Yes. Just throw that in there. Um, that should be interesting. Maya being... My other half. Because wife, yes, as I'm sure she will absolutely love being called when she's on the podcast. <laughs> Maya Brooker's wife. Um, but yes, we'll have we'll have people talking about films for you next week. The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Remixed by James Yule of jamesyule.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com, on Twitter at failedcritics, and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash failedcritics. Thanks for listening. I'm sorry as well, Steve. I didn't mean to piss all over your chips then with Rogue One. I realised afterwards, like, as soon as it was over, I was like, I've just literally called you a massive cunt for liking Rogue One. And I didn't no, mean to. No, it's fine because everyone knows you're wrong up the <laughs> you on it. So. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.